condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines. It is February 25th, 2018. I am your host, Harrison Cayley. With me today in the studio, Ilan Martin. Hi, everyone. And over in Europia, Joe Quinn and Neil Bradley. Hello there. Hi, everyone. It's Europistan, Harrison. Europistan. <laughs> I always forget that. <clears throat> Not good with geography. So, this week... What's in the news? Well, probably the most exciting and newsworthy events in the past decade are the Winter Olympics over in South Korea. I always like the, the Olympics, um, even though I've never really been into sports. Um, just because you're supposed to like them, I guess. But um, over in the Olympics, what's going on? Uh, Russia, that's pretty much it. Russia, Kim, Jong, Kim Jong-un is... Uh, all that anyone really cares about. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the Olympics and the ongoing war against Russia in pretty much all domains possible. Uh, the Olympics is just one front, and we've seen it for years, really, and it's been going on for longer than that, but sports is the new venue for um, information warfare, it looks like. So, well, what's been going on? Um, Russia... Of course, after the doping scandal of, what was it, two years ago? One year ago? Two years ago? Um, has been um, kind of the, the global pariah in the sports community, especially related to the, to the Olympics for their alleged state-run doping program, as revealed by uh, this whistleblower who went to the States and uh, told the whole story. So the fallout from that is that Russia was not able to compete in the Winter Olympics this year under their official, um, you know, colors, flag, and name. They are Olympic athletes from Russia, but they cannot display their, um, you know, Russian team paraphernalia or, you know, iconography and um, basically have have to have competed in um, kind of two-toned, uh, uniforms, outfits that uh, don't display the Russian flag, don't say the Russian Federation, just OAR, Olympic athletes from Russia. And we've already had a couple Russian athletes busted for doping, allegedly, and apparently. And that seems to be the, um, well, it's just a, it's a really sad state of affairs um, for sports, politics, and uh, just kind of being human all around. You know, like I mentioned, kind of joking, I've never really been into sports, but I've always, you know, as a kid, I played sports and I've always had a, an appreciation for sports. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I've always, you know, there's there's a certain thrill you get out of seeing a kind of like, uh, you know, physical perfection in a in movements and uh, ability and, uh, you know, exertion. And so, and of course, growing up Canadian, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't help but be raised with a certain amount of Wayne Gretzky worship, so... Um, uh, hockey player. Who? <laughs> what do you mean? Who? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, come on, explain. Who is he? Okay, Wayne Gretzky. Well, like the greatest, one of the, well, probably one of the 
if not the greatest hockey player, then one, you know, the top two. And uh, he played for, yeah, he played for, uh, like his, the greatest parts of his career were played, um, on the, for the Edmonton Oilers, my hometown. Um, you know, oh man. Taken. Did you go see him play? No. uh, No, I was, I was, well, actually, I, I, I'll have to remember maybe my mom who may or may not be listening today <laughs> can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure my dad told me that, uh, that I was at like one of the, one of the most famous games, um, you know, where, where Gretzky, you know, I, c- I can't remember what the exact thing was, but he basically set a record or something at that game. I might've been either in my mama's womb or as a baby at that game. Um, but, uh, so it's kind of, you know, in my, in my blood. <laughs> well, I qualified. <laughs> I got to see Wayne Gretzky play for the New York Rangers yeah. in, in the latter part of his career, and, and that was a, a thrill, mm-hmm. even though he was kind of on the wane. Yeah. It was just the, the sheer... No pun intended? Of, no. <laughs> um, but anyway... Well, there so. you go. Elan just gave a motivation for people to get into sports, a thrill, right? Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's great. It's, so, it's, what, I mean, it, I, I, I'm the opposite. I, I used to love sports, um, followed teams... Follow certain sports, participate. You know, did some myself. Um, mm-hmm. The attraction is that uh, I think it's well described by Jonathan Haidt, whose mm-hmm. book we've been discussing a couple of times now. In the righteous mind, I mean, he gives it a, as a mundane example of the religious ecstatic experience, especially when a group gets together. But it's mundane, but the, people feel that thrill. I mean, he gave the example of so he hates sports as well, right? So he goes along to um, UVA football matches. University of Virginia, where he's not even a student. He's there as a postdoc researcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets dragged into attending a couple of matches. And he's getting carried, carried away by the chanting. And I mean, most of the people there are ignoring the sports, but it's the chants and the collective. And uh, it's uplifting. Or yeah. And you can see how if you're dedicated to it, it can be ecstatic. I mean, the team I supported when I was growing up as a kid, I mean, I had no, there's no obvious reason why I would have support of this team. It's an English football team on a different country. There, there is a reason. <laughs> don't, a but reason. don't don't get me started. <laughs> well, my dad supported them, right? Exactly. Okay, That's not the only reason. His brother. So it's in the family, right? Um, but there was this ban- it was a banner on the stadium of this team. It was always there. MUFC, Manchester United Football Club, comma, the religion. I mean, the fans knew it. They all knew it. It, it wasn't, and they weren't like making a, an ironic point with it. That's how they felt about it, you know. So, um, politicians, politics. Why would it then infringe on sports? Well, because mm-hmm. there's powerful impact. Mm-hmm. It's again, though, we don't want to overstate it either. It's still, it's still in the realm of the mundane. Well, but, depends on the context. Why do you think Hitler was so popular? I mean, at the why? Well, one of the reasons he was so popular was because the rallies he gave, right? Uh, so the rallies he spoke at. So pretty much, I'd say it's reasonable to draw a comparison between football matches and the kind of atmosphere and the group dynamic going on there. People getting into it, like you said, even Jonathan Haidt and stuff, who supposedly should know better, getting caught up in the in the kind of mass in the, in the crowd mentality. You uh, call it the hive mentality, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's pretty much. You know that was that was working, working at Nazi rallies. Yes, exactly totally. the same thing. Totally. But the so, thing yeah, about the Olympics, I, I just want to say, is that you know it, the the fervor might be there to some degree, but it it's set up as this kind of uh, very apolitical uh, kind of uh, you yeah. know 
good good sportsmanship, uh, people coming together from all around the world in good spirit to to compete, and what we've been seeing in the vilification of uh, Russian sportsmen and Olympic uh, participants is is this kind of a, a besmirching. It's a it's a fervor. It's like it's infected the very good spirit that uh, that the Olympics is trying to you know in theory uh, bring forward to the world where everybody kind of you know shares in the in the right. communal uh, act of you know yeah of course yeah I mean yeah sports international sporting competitions like that aren't meant to be political we're just drawing the comparison between the kind of mentality of a crowd at a big sporting event particularly oh, yeah. when it's a you know local kind of you know one team against another or whatever. Um, but on international sporting events like that, um, that involve basically the whole world, like the world, um, world championships or the or the Olympics, which is more or less the same thing. Um, yeah, it's a whole world. Like, and obviously, people who are going to it buy tickets for you know for particular events or some people buy tickets for the whole thing, you know, for several weeks, whatever. And they're there to watch these events. They're not there to only watch their team team members. They're there to watch. Right. People excel in the tradition of the Olympics going back to, let's say, Greece, where it was like, let's see who could, you know, just to watch human, like Neil was saying, to watch, or Harrison was saying, to watch, um, you know, kind of humans, human beings and the skill that they can, uh, the skill that they can gain through long practice and hard work and sweat and tears and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's nothing... But yeah, that's what the Olympics, more than any, any other sporting event, is, is meant to be about. Yeah. Um, so and it's meant, so it's meant to be the world come together and everybody happy that they're all part of a big world type of thing. So to bring in the the demonization of Russia, which is obviously a part of it. Like when you look, at, you go back uh, the past few years. You know what? When we go back to maybe um, shooting down of MH17. Hey, no. And the build up to Sochi, the games hasn't started, and the Western media were disparaging the the uh, awful facilities that the Russians had built. Right. Remember that there was something wrong with the toilet seat? Right. Or my, my hotel room didn't have this product in it. But that was around the same time, no? As MH17. 2014, yes. The MH4, sorry, um, MH17 is, is July that year, same right. year. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was obviously, the demonization already started over Ukraine and Crimea. Um, so it was that year, so it was four years ago, now, more or less, uh, that this all started, the real... Uh, the kind of the the the, the uh, curtain was pulled back on the demonization of Russia by by particularly by America really mm-hmm. and by Western Europe, European countries and it hasn't stopped since. So the fact that this comes now on the back of four years of vicious demonization of Russia in the international stage by the U.S. and European leaders, the fact the fact that now that you see oh and look at the Olympics in 2018 somehow Russia is up there winning whenever they win medals. They don't get to put their flag on there. They don't get to. Uh, they even are they even allowed to play the national anthem? No, no, they play no. some international. The IOC Olympic anthem, the whatever that is. Communist international thing. No, <laughs> they uh, yeah, they it's some classic Inter- classical music. Yeah, thing. a classical music and no flag. And we're meant to not connect those two things. And mm-hmm. I mean, despite the fact that some people probably do think that it's just oh Russia, you know, doping. That's what they do. It's not really connected. It's their own fault basically. But no, this is obviously. Uh, the politicization of sport and the use of sport as a, uh, in propaganda war, in, in an information war by okay. America. I mean, so this is, and it's, an, it's, it's evidence of how, how, I suppose, how desperate these people are in, in America in particular to, to defeat or to, you know, 
downgrade or push back Russia, that they would, you know, extend it that far. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, it's almost petty, you know. But they understand. If you think about what must drive that that idea, that plan to demonize Russia, the Russian Olympic team and Russian sport, it obviously suggests a clear understanding oh, yeah. of the importance of the public impression yes. of a country in the world. Where you don't even have to attack them. You don't have to. You don't have to directly. You know, it's not about. You don't have to go and like bomb them or anything like that. But you want to re- lay out preliminary steps, at least. Of it's kind of like Saddam Hussein. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's an evil dictator or Gaddafi, evil dictator. You know, you build that rhetoric up in advance. You demonize the person, information war-wise, uh, initially in advance of. By hitting, attacking them directly. By hitting people's emotions. And, of course, this is a place, you know, supposed to cater to positive emotions, well-being, global community, games, sports, yada, right. yada, and you hit them there. It's subtle, but it's effective. I mean, why did Germany host the Summer Olympics in 1936? That's, that was Nazi Germany. Right. You would have understood the same thing. Yeah. Um, that's why Putin pushed to get it's Russia, the Winter Olympics, in 2014. Uh, probably the best ever, probably the best attended ever, most viewed or something, uh, also the most expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. they probably went above and beyond and still they have to pa- cast this power of right, so dung it's, over it. It's effectively economic warfare mm-hmm. uh, indirectly because <clears throat> if you demonize, I mean, Putin or Russia, the Russian government wanted the 2014 Winter Olympics. Every country wants, they, they lobby fiercely for for uh, getting these kind of international sporting events on their territory, be it the Soccer World Cup or the Rugby World Cup or, or whatever, um, because it's an e- it has a large economic benefit, not a direct economic benefit, no. just in terms of people and people coming to the country to to watch those sports sports events. But then, once you get people in that co- into your country that may not have come before, they're more likely to come back. So it's effectively tourism. Yeah, and. Anybody who so then that's the positive side of it. That's why countries want it because it's basically an economic boost. So anybody who would try to stop you from getting those international sporting events in your territory want it's they're trying to hit you economically. Yeah, they're trying to downgrade you economically effectively. Mm-hmm. Brazil spent a fortune in 2016 to get to the Summer Olympics, and it was such a, right. probably a fortune they didn't have. And most, I believe, most of the stadiums and facilities afterwards were just left to ruins because right. they weren't, didn't have the surrounding infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But they calculated that the longer-term benefit was worth it. Sorry, Harrison, go on. Well, yeah, and in, in addition to like the economic angle, it also, um, like you, you kind of alluded to it by touching on how it hits people in the emotions. It, it it applies on this kind of base basic cultural level too. It's because like, well, what do people who aren't really into politics? What are they into? It's like they're into sports, right? Sports is kind of like the common denominator among right. cultures. It seems like it's it's what the you know what regular people enjoy watching. It's their escape. It's their your, their right. hobby to watch their teams, right? And in the Olympics that brings it to the global scale. So how do you it's, how do it's you unifying? Yeah, it's unifying. So right. how do you disunify? How do you demonize right. another another country? Um, You're segregating them, right? So it, it basically it, it it gets the propaganda message to to every level, essentially. And mm-hmm. it's it's interesting the way um, you know the the measures that they took to um, to penalize Russia in this instance. What, what did they do? So they banned their flag and their anthem, and you know the mm-hmm. the the 
the the mere verbal like statement saying. of their country. And yeah. and what are those things that you know are the those are the things that are the most basic kind of tribal um, mm-hmm. icons and and symbols for for a country like for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. getting back to Jonathan Haidt's work. I mean, he talks about this this experiment this guy did um, you know several decades back where he put a bunch of kids just random kids in like a summer camp and he and he set them up in in different um, different houses you know in the woods. And uh, just basically let them have at it and, and saw what they did. And basically they, you know, they made a flag for themselves. They made slogans and, and chants and songs. And when they finally figured out that there were other groups that were there that they didn't know about because they weren't told about them, they, you know, that they got into competition with these other groups and they formed teams. And it was just like a, you know, just a, a basic automatic process. They they weren't instructed to do any of these things. It's just it's just basically human nature to to, you know, create a group um and and then compete with other groups and and so when, so that that's essentially what the olympics is now the now sporting is kind of a a contradictory thing because on the one hand you have competition and that's so that's the that's what a lot of um like i guess more sensitive you know non-sports uh liking people what they don't like about sports is the competitive atmosphere to it you know they think everyone should just get along and it's you know oh why does one team have to win well um, on the other hand, so, so there is that competitive element and there's that and taken to the international level, there's the competition between countries, you know, which country is going to be on top. And even that is a, um, you know, a good PR move for certain countries. Like if you're if you're a, um, you know, a, a country that's not really on the map, you know, that a lot of people don't know about and you get all these gold medals. Well, that puts you on the map that puts your country on the map. It gains gains you some um, um, just public recognition. But then on the other hand, there is the the element in sports of of good sportsmanship and being a good sport, and um, and, and you see that exemplified in great in, well in a lot of great athletes like Wayne Gretzky. Like Gretzky was a decent person on the ice. Like he wasn't a, he wasn't full of himself. He wasn't a, you know he didn't denigrate his opponents. He was actually you know a decent person. And and that by like exemplifying that, the fact that he was like the best hockey player on the ice. Um, him kind of instilling the or manifesting those values, and the, those virtues in himself that has an effect on his teammates, his opponents, and the people watching. So it's a you know it's a very powerful in, it, and it can go in both ways. So it can be very powerful for um, you know instilling a, a virtue of of uh, you know fair play and good sportsmanship and 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 excellence, but without but without the the arrogance and the the kind of brutal competition of of you know basically you know extreme that you see in warfare basically um or it can be used like that that dynamic can be used for like national purely nationalistic purposes in like the worst sense of nationalism like um like in nazi germany um so what we see what we've seen in the olympics is that they've gone after these these symbols like the the national anthem and the flag they kind of unify russia as a you know as a nation state as a as one of these units that are that are competing in these in these games and it's 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 like a humiliation basically mm-hmm. um because these are the, these are the the things that unite russian athletes and russians with you know with with each other and distinguish them from other groups and and it's basically saying no you don't get that privilege it's like you're just you're just athletes that happen to come from that region of the world and it's like it's like there's something there's something really kind of, it's just, well, it's hard to, to verbalize, but it's low. It's it, like the word that comes to mind uh, is like a kind of a global shunning 
of Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, and it's all done by a kind of tacit agreement. Uh, there was one story of how, I don't remember the nationality of this particular athlete, but um, he had seen some Russian athletes go into an elevator. And as the story goes, he, he refused to get onto the elevator with them in, in the <laughs> Olympic Village uh, in, in the South Korean Games. So you hear something like that, and, and it's like, really? You're, you're going to? But, of course, I mean, that's just a testament to how successful this, uh, this shunning is of, of Russia that you would have other, uh, even other athletes kind of, you know, look, look at them with disdain and, and, and uh, repulsiveness, but as if they're somehow lower, um, you know, a lower caste of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we've, it's we've on sportsman libraries. It is. Uh, and it, it just feeds into this kind of greater movement we're seeing uh, where, you know, I, well, we had um, we discussed this a while back. Uh, I think it was um, James Clapper who made te- you know statements to the effect that Russians were somehow you know less less than human and, and not trustable. And there was another uh, another politician recently in the news. I he said they were genetically programmed to um, take over other people's countries. <laughs> <laughs> Just Seriously. about right. Yeah, that doesn't that. that the term pot kettle black doesn't even <clears throat> come close to that one. Well, this week, the Russian men's hockey team thrashed mm-hmm. the United States 4-0 in the quarterfinals. Then they beat the Czech Republic, I believe. And just yesterday, they won gold by beating Germany in overtime. Excuse me, did I say Russia? I meant the Olympic athletes from Russia. And given that they weren't allowed to hear their own anthem. We're going to play it. Yeah. Yes. Just a little bit. Congratulations to Team Russia on winning gold in probably the only sport that really is an honest to God sport huh? at the Winter Olympics. No. Well, yeah, hockey. I mean, that's what people go for, right? No. It's all about the hockey, right? No. You Canadians would know that. <laughs> no. There's lots more. Good they won gold, and actually, they're doing pretty well. They have a lot of medals, but they're actually they're only they're only technically down in the tables because most of them are bronze medals. Mm. But they've won, like, a ton of medals. And you know that they're the cleanest team there mm-hmm. by a mile. Yeah. Although, this week, 
two news items. Apparently, two of these people were test, tested positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are so dodgy, these stories, that even the Guardian report I read about it um, brought up, uh, just, just simply quoted the Russian coach. One of these athletes, I think it was the Russian, it was the curler, right? Do you remember the husband and wife curler team, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. They, they did okay. They came third. And then they were getting attention in the media primarily because the wife was so beautiful, but also because they came third because they're Russian, right? And then the bombshell that the husband tested positive for, for meldonium. meldonium. That was only spanned, put on the schedule list of uh, performance-enhancing drugs two years ago, which kicked all this off because that's what got Maria Sharapova caught, the famous tennis player. Russian. Russian, uh, because it had just been scheduled <clears throat> as a banned substance that year. And it's mostly only taken by Russians. And it's not a performance-enhancing drug. But whatever, okay, it's illegal. But as the coach said, um, now this, this, this guy, this, the husband in this curling team, he just flew home. I mean, I think he didn't contest it. But the coach was like, why would he take one dose of it? It only works over the long term. Mm-hmm. Right. It's basically like taking <clears throat> co, uh, coenzyme 10. It's a heart supplement. It's, 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 it's not a performance enhancer. Anyway. But also curling? Yeah, right. Like you need, <laughs> like you need, you need performance enhancing for curling. Like. Um, the but the, the Guardian, the Guardian also include, let his, his quote stand that, you know, he suspected sabotage because it was completely mm-hmm. ridiculous. Or sliding a, ro- sliding a rock down some ice. Right. Like The whole story around that is dodgy. Like, first of all, according to the tests, he had he, he had taken one dose, and he had taken it while in South Korea, so not in Russia. Now, that would be – well, and while he, actually, he himself has contested it. He said, "There's no, I didn't do it. There's no way I'd do that. It was totally stupid. But he's not going to bring, like, a case against the – you know, the IOC or whoever's in charge, he just says that would be a waste of time. But because the, I mean, the two tests were pretty definitive, so he probably did have meldonium in his system. But like you're saying, Neil, it was probably sabotage. I mean, it was probably slipped into a drink or something because it, on, on no level does it make sense. First of all, um, <laughs> okay, first of all, it's meldonium. Why would you take a, like the Russian drug, right? That, uh, that everyone knows about that has um, that got this whole thing started, you know, with the you know one of the the, the best tennis players, Russian, gets caught for it and gets banned from the games. Uh, get got got her medal taken away from her, right, or some of them. Um, it's just a bad PR move at a time when you know you have to be super clean because they're going to catch you if and and use the slightest infraction in order to to you know rake you over the coals for it. And one dose doesn't do anything. It's curling. You don't need this kind of drug. This drug would have no effect for being a good curler. Uh, you know, one of my um, uh, roommates here was telling me the story about, uh, I believe it was one of the first, um, if not the first, uh, Canadian, like, curling teams. And the, 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 the champion, like, the, the head guy was this overweight smoker who, you know, was just this great curler. And um, after that, like, you know, after they won... There was they basically told him, okay, you got to kind of get your image, you know, sorted out because it doesn't look good for an athlete to look like this. Like curling, when you're pushing the, when you're pushing the, what do they call them, the uh, the stone or, I don't, know, I don't know the terminology. <clears throat> you don't need to be in great physical shape to be a good curler, at least on that end of the, you know, of the rink, um, mm-hmm. of the ice. You basically need to have good aim. 
it's like being a mm-hmm. bowler or a you know a, mm-hmm. a dart thrower it's like you mm-hmm. don't need to be a, a super buff athlete in order to be a good curler so what like it doesn't even even make sense that this guy would want to take a drug uh, yeah. a performance enhancing drug and to take one dose while you're in the country it's just it it just reeks of you know dirty mm. tricks to me at least well the, the, well, the whole thing stuff. the whole thing started mm-hmm. go ahead well just to add to that there's uh, another uh russian athlete nadezhia sargiva who finished 12th in the two women uh, bobsleigh and um she was accused of uh of using a substance called trimetazidine which is a stimulant used to uh to treat patients from angina so uh another kind of absurd accusation it seems um where they're they're looking for anything i think they were randomly drug testing people um and uh, just to add to that uh so all of this was supposed to add pressure for the um olympic uh committee to not permit russia to march under their own uh flag at the closing ceremony does anyone know if they were ultimately allowed to do that it's not decided yet no yeah, well, the, th- the thing, the thing is, all of this uh, really started. I mean, it's obviously a propaganda war, like we've been saying against Russia. It's absolutely political, but the politicization of sport. And back in December, I wrote a little article about on it, you know, and about the the guy behind it. Effectively, uh, obviously, there's a lot of corruption in in WADA, which is the uh, you know the World Anti-Doping Agency. It's uh, seems to be being infiltrated by uh, or controlled by Western. Western interests, essentially. But uh, there's a guy um, who was on, on TV again. <laughs> the BBC got him on. Uh, his name's Rodchenko. He used to be the um, he used to be the head of the WADA, World Anti-Doping Agency, approved uh, uh, anti anti-doping lab in in Moscow in Moscow for Russia. Um, and he this. Long story short, he basically is a pretty disreputable character. Uh, he was on the side. He was basically, while he was meant to be testing, um, you know, he's meant to be in control of making sure that Russian athletes weren't doping. He was Russian himself. Um, he was actually um, creating a kind of, uh, uh, whatever you call it, dr- enhanced, enhanced, ability-enhancing drugs, effectively, for uh, this, this turd was smuggling in these drugs for years to right. Russia and, and trying to get as many athletes as possible. Well, he, was taking, sell- he was selling it to He was selling them on the side. Him and and then when he was caught, he was investigated. And the outcome of that is that he was made head of the Russian anti-doping agency. Mm-hmm. Now, that right there was smack of state-sponsored, right? It's, it's still a mystery as to how he got it. No one knows exactly. It's either a state secret, not be, but not because it's been covered up mm-hmm. by the Russian government, but because something dodgy went on there where he, it was a blatant uh, <coughs> miscarriage of justice that well, was not intentionally done yeah. by, a, let's say, the Russian government. I think, I think he, they, they, they were afraid that he, he was – he's a shyster. He's basically a criminal, a uh, criminal mind effectively, and because he was making money on the side – um, he he, did, he basically did a deal, I think, with the Russians that because uh, <clears throat> he has the threat that he would expose what was going on, they they allow him to be the the kind of head of the anti-doping lab in in Moscow. But this is in the context of every single country in the world having uh, engaging in 
uh, doping effectively mm-hmm. uh, of, of some description for all of their sports. They have, uh, you know, the, the sports bodies tied to the government and every country has uh, someone, some guys and some scientists in, in labs place somewhere looking for the next, the new thing they can use that can't be traced to, to enhance. Uh, it's, it's to do with the sports teams and the sponsors are all involved in it. Basically, it's, it's, it's a game, you know what I mean? It's, it's a money making game, obviously. Uh, the, the government has an interest in it or will turn a blind eye to it because it enhances national prestige when people from your country win. And then the sponsors, obviously, there's a lot of money involved in sponsorship of, of top athletes and stuff, and they want them to win because they're wearing the sponsors, the company's corporation's jersey, so they're involved in it. I mean, just look at the, the Tour de France, the international bicycle races. It's just rife with it. I mean, all of them are taking drugs, you know, every single country. And it's the same for you go back to the 90s. You look at people like, I mean, it's very, very old, you know, uh, 80s, 90s, Carl Lewis, a bunch of US athletes all done for doping and sprints and the Olympics and all this kind of stuff. And so it's, it's been around for ages and it's, it's, it's accepted and, you know, there's a supposed battle going on to try and stop it, but you can't stop it. So everybody's doing it. That's the context is everybody's doing it. This guy who was basically part of it in Russia, he was a particularly criminal type of guy who was selling it on the side for his own personal profit, giving the athletes, you know, they'd go to his lab and here's, you know, here's 50 bucks, give me a, a vial of that. And, uh, and, so, so he basically decided, I think there's no, I don't think there's any hard evidence except the fact that he's now living in America uh, and being protected by the authorities in the US. He's been given a fancy, by his own admission, he's been given a very fancy apartment and the latest uh, top of the range infinity uh, car and stuff. He's on, on, on video having said all this. So it, it sounds like he was basically contacted as an, in, in Cold War uh, espionage style. He was contacted by someone in the US and, and made an offer, you know, listen, um, and he's a criminal. So he said, yeah, I'll take your money and I'll, I'll basically dish, dish, dish the dirt on, on Russia. Um, so this could easily have happened to anybody else if they had the access. Like Russia could have possibly, if, if possible, found someone in the US who was doing the same thing as this guy was doing and made them an offer, got them to come to Russia and then spill the beans on America. It would be no problem. And all of the evidence, and you probably get more evidence that Americans are doping than Russians are doping. You, do it, you could do it against the Brits, you could do it against the French, anybody. You expose all of their athletes uh, as being doping and get them the same treatment as that has been meted out to Russia. But of course, the US has more, the more, more, of, more of an, <coughs> the US is more enthusiastic <coughs> about demonizing Russia, as we've seen over the past yeah. four or five years, they're really going for it. They're the ones who have the, the motivation to do this. Uh, so they put all the resources into it and they found this criminal dude, Rochenko. And he was recently on the BBC. The BBC tried to, decided to revive it again because the Olympics were going on. And this time, but on the BBC, he's just, the guy's like, he's, he's just, a, he's not just a criminal. He's like a pusillanimous, creepy, slimy kind of guy. He appears on the BBC interview with dark glasses and a balaclava. On. And of course, the reason was that while well, I can't, apparently he had modified his appearance, so he, he didn't want to reveal his new appearance, paid by for the FBI or something, plastic surgery maybe, but probably not. He's making stuff up as because he, he's a liar and a criminal uh, and saying that he needed to cover himself up in this way because you never know who's watching from yeah. Russia and yeah. they take him out, you know, so it's back to the old Cold War, you know, you know, a poison tipped umbrella or something would stab him in the leg someday and that would be the end of it, you know, this, this nonsense basically, you know. Um, so, but I, I wouldn't doubt that uh, there's Russians who really would like to get rid of this guy, and I think the world would be better better off without him, you know. But um, so it's it's hilarious the whole thing, and it, like we're saying, it's just pure propaganda. And this guy, I mean, that's the evidence that this guy was is, is doing it as part of the. Uh, I mean, he said himself. Uh, I think he said 
his quote from him is uh, in a video that was released last December. He's on tape saying, I don't care about the fight against doping, but I plan to destroy all Olympic sports of Russia for the next five years. And then he admits that he's a terrible person who has sold his soul and committed all sins except paedophilia, homosexuality, sexuality, and drug, drug trafficking. <laughs> Along that last one, he has actually been involved technically in drug trafficking. Um, but he's very happy with his expensive apartment in LA uh, and his latest model Infinity sports car. And he said they're all paid for, but he didn't say by who. So He's so obviously deranged that he was admitted for psychiatric care in Russia after he attempted to commit suicide. He slit his wrists. Right. I don't know when that was, maybe while he was head of this this whatever Russian agency they have for WADA. He is a nutcase. Uh, a unbelievable nutcase. And he is the basis for the entire evidence right. of the McLaren report that informed Which is the really- IOC decision against Russia in the 2016 Olympics right. summer games and now again here. Yeah. This this nutcase. This guy is a, is a go-to man, and he's a criminal. He's a he's a lie. He's a liar, pathological liar, and a deranged criminal. And he, but then, you know, he's he, you know, L.A. You know, it's a good place for him to be. And I mean, he's an FBI informant. Yeah. Right there, he's the he's an intelligence asset of, right. of the U.S. intelligence community in right. quotes. Right. And most of the world media just blithely reports it as a fact that People Russia is unique <clears throat> in its state doping. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an old pattern, though. Um, in the 80s, for anyone can remember, remember the team that was bashed most for state-sponsored doping was the East German mm-hmm. Olympics team. Even they weren't banned. Even they weren't banned then, right? Now, 1988 Olympics. Do you remember the sprint, 100-meter dash? Now, mm-hmm. we all remember the Canadian guy, Ben Johnson. Mm-hmm was caught and stripped of his medal. Mm-hmm. But actually, six of the eight guys in that final lineup, including Carl freaking Lewis, were all cheating. Mm-hmm. But everyone does it. That's what you do, right? But then the whole thing is, well, what is cheating? Where does a supplement become, you know? Right. And the whole gray area. I mean, the only reason they started anti-doping as a moral crusade was because a guy dropped dead in the Tour de France in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, that's going a little bit far. Mm. Because he was so hyped up on methamphetamines or whatever. What do you call him? Tour de France man. American guy. Lance Armstrong. Seven times. Mm-hmm. Seven times won the Tour de France. Seven times got it taken away from him because he was <laughs> hopped up on drugs the whole time. Yeah. That's just sad. People laid into him for being psycho, like, you know, sort of no remorse about it. Mm. I don't blame him at all. He was, you know, he was, once he admitted and he was caught, he, he laid it all out. Why he did it, how he did it. Because like, yeah. uh, if anything, it's more honest of him to, to say what everyone else is doing too. Right. Well, that's the problem. You're never, never going to stop it because as soon as one person takes it, then everybody has to take it. Yeah. And, and, and even if you suspect that one person is taking it, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you can't. You're relying on human on, on honesty, some kind of honesty in a in a very competitive uh, sporting event where um, you know prestige and a lot of money are at stake, and you're going to rely on human beings. To be honest, fully honest, all of them who participate. Uh, if there's only one out of a hundred who isn't honest, which is you know obviously a lot more than that, but said there's only one. Well, then as soon as that one guy takes it, or what one one woman takes it, well then everybody else has to because it's unfair, right? So taking drugs is actually the only fair only way to be fair in these kind of sports if you suspect that someone else is. Because it's unfair if one person's taking it. I else. think they should just let everyone take. Whatever yeah. they want, go. And, go and then it should, ma- go and then it should be whoever survives yeah. is the winner. 
<laughs> Whoever doesn't drop down dead. Yeah. Of a heart attack. Well, they, they, yeah, they have sort of paid. You, you win the Olympics for taking the most drugs and surviving. That yeah. should be the, that's the only criteria, really. They have effectively created a workaround. You remember in the aftermath of the McLaren report and all oh, rest is evil for having state sponsored, blah, blah, blah. There was this hack, right? Fancy bears. Right. And they, they hacked WADA and they showed that they have these special TUEs, something, something exemptions. They're dished out the athletes, some of them several times a year for decades if they last that long. The most hardcore steroids. That's Serena Williams. You know, people comment that she looked quite you know, large in the biceps. Yeah, because right. she's been on steroids since she was 14 mm-hmm. regularly for asthma. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, my <laughs> and the like. There at least I've seen articles in the last week. At least two of the like Nordic countries. I can't remember which. Might have been Norway and Sweden. Norway, I think. Yeah, like eighty percent of I can't remember which team of theirs. You know, in the in the sports are all asthmatics. Apparently, they've all got asthma. And they're all on asthma medication. It's like, what are the chances that you know all of yeah, these? Everybody. Everybody. Norway, get this. Norway, popul- I have the stat here, Harrison. Norway population five million is topping the medals table. They took with them 15,000 doses, I believe, of asthma something. I don't, they didn't say what it was. It's basically an It was enough to pump each of them 50 times. It's an inhaler. It's, it's an, an inhaler. It's basically, it's, uh, it's um, sal, sal, salbutol or whatever it is. It's, uh, it's basically stuff you take for it. It is asthma treatment. Yeah. But, but it expands, expands your lung capacity. It opens up your alveoli or whatever and it gives you... Basically, a better, deeper, better, more breath, oxygen. You know? Yeah, more oxygen. Oxygen right. hits your lungs, but more. But maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe in a race, something you could claim that, like in a running race, you know, hundred meters dash or something, you could claim that you have like a, what do you call those pets that people have? You know, uh, what's the term for it? Uh, 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 uh. Cheer pets. No, it's not, not a guide dog if you're blind or whatever, but like something that's a comfort, comfort animal. I call them. People have comfort on people who need them, you know. I would have like a comfort in a race or something, I'd have a comfort horse, you know. And I'd say that this, well, this is my medical condition, I need this horse underneath me <laughs> during this race, and then I'd be able to win. To top off the hypocrisy, the Norwegian FA, that's their Norwegian Football Association, is this week calling for either it to be boycotted. Or something even worse. I'm talking about the Football World Cup, which is coming up this summer, and Russia's hosting it. Mm. Now, there hasn't been a lot of noise about it of late, but I think it's too late for them to cancel it. But expect shenanigans between now and June, I think it kicks off. Mm. Um, They're going to do something, either something atrocious at the event or create a scandal and have as many teams as possible boycott it and not show up, which would hurt the competition. Who's going to do that? Murder. Probably America. Whoever's, I mean, whoever's pushing this. Well, they'll try, probably, but... Probably U.S. intelligence community, in quotes. Yeah. TM. If they can, they wouldn't. Yeah, emo- that's it. Emotional support animal. <laughs> <clears throat> I could have, yeah, or a dog, like a, a very angry Alsatian or Doberman or something that would attack the other other runner. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting for a quality in the Olympics, though. Yeah, what? Quality. Equality. Yeah, quality. The, the equality thing, the different quality and... You know, and, and, and non-discrimination and stuff, you know, because just, that would just blow, blow up in the whole field. Like you so could, if you're too fast, you shouldn't run so fast to give the others a chance. Yeah, or whatever, you know. I mean, you could add in any, any, any number of things. Where, or that person needs a handicap, so they have to carry extra weights mm. in the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
so that the they all finish at the same it, time. Yeah, they just call it the Equality Olympics. It'd be fascinating. The Social Justice Olympics. Yeah. So yeah, sad, sad, sad state of affairs, you know. But that's it's a good example actually when you look at well, as we described uh, that this is basically economic slash information war waged by America against Russia and what they've done and the way we've described it. Um. Uh, as as evidence of what America has always done, and uh, this didn't just start doing this. Obviously, yeah, this is this is how they operate, you know. And just look back over, you know, it, it, it ties into the the nature of of America and the American Empire, and America's uh, attitude to the world over the past 70, 80, 90 years, you know, and how they've gone about it. They're just they're just they play dirty. I've always played dirty, uh, um, on the basis of manifest destiny, you know. Uh, we get to rule the world by whatever means necessary, you know, and uh, and and most other countries are just are not have not a, have not have not been as um, kind of megalomaniacal in that way or are pumped up in, in terms of their own self-importance and their own belief in themselves, and therefore uh, have not engaged in the same kind of dirty dealings that uh, that America has has over the course of the same period, you know, um, and it's bizarre because you know. While they were doing all of that, they were claiming to be and be doing exactly the opposite, you know, freedom of the world, protecting the world, justice, all the noble ideals, while they were doing pretty much exactly the opposite. Uh, and that seems to be one of the defining characteristics of our world is that <laughs> very often, uh, and even down to, sometimes down to the ordinary person, you know, uh, the truth is, is 180 mm. from what is claimed, you know. Well, we're speaking about empire and the Olympics in Korea. In a way, it, Russia isn't really the story here. Certainly, won't be in in on the Korean Peninsula itself. It's mm-hmm. um, the remarkable turnaround in the let's say outward expressed relations between the two countries caused by this event. There was clearly some back channel stuff that led to the agreement that. Kim Jong-un's sister would turn up for the opening ceremony, Mm -hmm. that she would extend an invite for President Moon of South Korea to go to Korea. And now there have been further developments since then. Um, And then, of course, the agreement that the two countries would appear under one flag for a couple of events and then for the official ceremonies and so on. Um, Headline I got before we came on air, North Korea is willing to start direct talks with the U.S., says South Korea. And some North Korean general uh, visited the Winter Olympics. Don't know who that is, but he's probably a high, uh, some high-level figure from North Korean government. Um, so that that's not over yet. The, whatever agreement took place, it's being milked to the max by North Korea, and it's being very successful. It's been reciprocated, and that, in a way, is the story. It's been subtle, but. Western media in general has poo-pooed this up one way and down the other. Oh, you can't trust this. Is this looks like it might be good, but oh, I don't know. You can never trust those North Koreans, um, especially when you need them as an enemy. Well, that's it, isn't it? Uh, peace can't be breaking out here, people. Remember, I, but it is remarkable after the last year of fire and fury. Mm. And my button is bigger than yours. 
Um, well, that was all means to an end rhetoric, basically. I mean, because they want to keep North Korea as this enemy. I mean, that, that's, people don't realize just how true that idea of, of, of the idea of America needing an enemy and creating an enemy. They do it like in a very, very literal way. Uh, and North Korea is a perfect example of that because it's never, they don't give a damn about North Korea. North Korea isn't a threat to anybody. Leave North Korea alone. I mean, like America cares anything about about the North Korean people, whether or not they're being treated badly or it's whatever, there's terrible conditions or, or not. As if America, the American government would ever care, really, what humanitarianism, whatever. Humanitarianism for an ulterior motive has always been the case. And that's the case here. And the ulterior motive is to have a military presence in that part of the world, which just happens to be where China is. Uh, and interestingly, the last round of sanctions that they just announced <clears throat> a couple of days ago, Trump announced new sanctions, uh, kind of pulls back the curtain on what it's really all about because those sanctions actually target Chinese companies. And the Chinese aren't, aren't happy about it. And the Chinese, of course, have known all along that this whole North Korean business was just a ruse, a means to an end. Uh, and now it's America has finally kind of come out and, and done what it's, you know, started to to, to implement the real uh, the real goals all along, which is is in, like militarily obviously to surround China, and if necessary, then to to economically. Uh, try and economically hurt China. And, I mean, they're idiots, you know. Imagine trying to really go up against the Chinese, Chinese like, economically, you know. But they have no other... What are they going to do? You know, we're out here now. We're all around the world. We have been for 70 years. If we pull back with every yard, with every kilometer, with every mile that America pulls back its empire, it loses, you know, X number of... You could probably, you know, figure out how much it's worth to them in terms of their economy and not just in terms of what they get but in terms of, you know, the 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 basis or the the substance of the U.S. economy, which is effectively that, you know, America rules the world, the petrodollar, you know, America's presence and reputation in the world. That's all. That all has a dollar equivalent, uh, and with every so, and that's based on them being all over the world. If America pulls back uh, in terms of its influence and its presence all around the world, then that has a dollar equivalent, or it has a, certainly a, a negative impact on the American economy. So they're stuck, you know. They really are stuck in terms of they cannot go back. They have to keep going. Uh, but if they keep going, they will ultimately lose. Because you cannot, at this point in, in world history, you cannot do what America wants to do, which is, is to, you know, have everybody effectively as a vassal state. More and more countries are pushing back. It's all going wrong. But we have to keep going. Because we know what backwards is. Backwards is is collapse effectively, but forwards also is collapse. But we can we can fool ourselves that forwards isn't a collapse. That there's maybe a way if we just keep if we come up with more devious maneuvers, you know, more 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 threats, well, more manipulations. Maybe we can secure it. A rational mind wouldn't necessarily see backwards as collapse. Well, with the current uh, state of the chessboard, it kind of is, no. Unless, but the thing is, you have to have to take some pain. America has to take some pain yeah. as, a, as a country. It cannot maintain itself the way it's. It's based on it is its foundation. It's, it's based that America exists on a false pretense, effectively. That's no longer workable. You know, um, there's the whole petrodollar thing. You know, which you know allows for the massive debt that somehow America is able to uh, sustain, and it is able to sustain, sustain it largely because of the petrodollar, because of the demand for American currency around the world. But that's going to change eventually. And what happens? Well, 
I mean, yeah, you could take some pain and think about that in a rational way and say, listen, okay, it's going to be difficult, but let's put things in place so that we can change the way we're, we're, we're comp compri what comprises America and how it functions. We can change the way uh, the economy works, you know, bit by bit by bit to kind of hedge our bets or to, uh, to lessen any negative impact when the world changes. But they don't want to do that because it's all about power and control and wealth. Who wants to, who wants to give up what they have? You're right, again, it goes back to human nature. You're going to ask, especially a pathological. <clears throat> Did we lose Joe and Neil? Uh, can we hear in the chat room if people can hear? Hello. Okay, we're going to get Joe and Neil back. Anyone in the chat Hello. room, can you hear us? Okay, you guys are back. Lost us for a while. Mm -hmm. What yep, was I saying there? back um the pathological Alrighty. achieving hegemony yeah basically right. uh, pathological basically when you're talking about pathological people and not just ordinary human beings but even more so with pathological human beings like that the ones that run run the run the u.s let's the say empire the empire there you know ask them to take a take a hit i know i know really ask them but to be reasonable I rational guess, when it means taking I'm, a hit all no. i'm pointing out is objectively it need not be a, an utter catastrophe I think Trump knows that. Yeah. Um, I think he, he under, understood at some level that he was taking the realms of something that needed to just be steadied, steady on, steady on there, pulling the rein well, in the horses, you know. Well, there is some, there is some. And yet, though, he's full of bluster towards <laughs> North Korea. Yeah. Urgh. Yeah, but he wants to make sure that you know they want to be over there to to make sure that China doesn't take any action against them, you know. Uh, that's why they have these. You make that sound ominous. So, what action is China going to take? Well, China could dump all its dollar reserves, all you know, uh, you know, I in theory, know. or could trans. It can, well, I mean, it, it can do it can do stuff economically. I agree. Well, China's pushing for the yuan to be the yes. to be the new petrodollar, to yeah. be the world's reserve currency. I what happens that. to America? America's got trillions and trillions of U.S. dollars floating around in the world that have value, largely because it's 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 the payment for 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 oil. The dollar is the is the is the is the transaction. Uh, currency for oil. Um, all of those dollars, if, that's, if overnight somehow the yuan became the reserve currency, then nobody needs those dollars anymore. All those, all those dollars come flooding back to America. And what do you have? Well, you've got trillions, literally, of dollars that are no longer, are not, do not match with the value of the, of the U.S. economy, effectively. And then you have massive hyperinflation. I mean, there's just massive contraction of the U.S. economy, you know? Yeah. And it's 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 just classic, you know, uh, economic crash scenario, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stock market collapses, job losses, all that kind of stuff. All the bad stuff happens, you know. And what do you do? I mean, there's some evidence that Americans have been thinking that way, but they're doing very little in terms of they want to become more. Uh, I've been over the past number of years. There's been a move within Washington to become, uh, and within the oil companies and stuff to become, and gas companies, basically energy companies, to be uh, more self-sufficient and no longer have to rely on uh, as much on um, external uh, supplies of, of oil and controlling it and all kinds of stuff. They can effectively be more self-sufficient. That's why you have all this uh, uh, fracking and LNG, you know, liquefied natural gas going and all that kind of stuff. And America wants to kind of pitch itself as, a, as an actual exporter that can sell oil. So it can be like a kind of Saudi Arabia. Instead of having to rely on Saudi Arabia to sell its oil in dollars, America wants to be I can't Saudi Arabia itself. But the problem is America is a massive energy hog, you know, in terms of its its economy, you know. Um, 
so there'll be a lot of changes needed there in terms of the way Americans actually, uh, you know, do business in terms of the amount of energy that they consume, you know, so it's, it's very difficult, but that seems to be one, one thing they're doing, but fracking the hell out of the country isn't, isn't such a good idea either, you know, um, and there's no, right now there's no, uh, it's not possible, it doesn't seem to be possible that uh, unless you can seriously manipulate the, the gas prices and stuff and other countries, uh, there's no way that American gas, for example, liquefied natural gas, you know, liquefied and then turned back into gaseous form at the destination, whatever, um, would be able to compete with uh, Russian gas. Russian gas is as cheap as it's like water out of a well type thing. There you go, there's your water. Straight out of the well, it's clean, you can use it. America, LNG has to be, you know, it's it's, it's liquefied, then it's transport, it has to be transported on ships to other, from America to other countries, it has to be regasified on the other side. There's all these big terminals and massive infrastructure has to be put in place to make that economically viable. And there's no way they can compete with Russian gas. Which is why they're trying to stop Russia from building all these pipelines. It's just, it's just bizarre, you know. It's like it's realities jumping up and put, hitting them in the face all the time. And they're like, "What the hell is that?" And they push it out of the way, uh, you know. And they keep trying to tell, tell, they keep trying to tell reality to stop doing that, you know, uh, and trying to, you know, twist and turn to, to change it, you know. And ultimately, it always leads to some kind of manipulation or force or threats, you know, to do that. That's the, usually that's the only way you can change kind of reality is to usually reality comes through the actions of other people you know the fact that you have to accommodate other people's interests what they want and uh, if you don't like that because it will somehow negatively impact you or you don't get what you want from everybody bowing to your to your orders all the time and shutting up when you want them to shut up uh, then you have to threaten them you know they all become your you want them all to be your slaves effectively and you can't make anybody your slave unless you force them you know unless you threaten them in some way so that's why america threatens people and uses dirty, uh, aggressive tactics against all of these people because they're just not taking stock of reality. They won't accept reality, but you can understand that they can't accept reality because reality implies, uh, you know, tightening of the belt effectively and a change in America's world status. And people at the top of the world, I like it up here. Why mm-hmm. should I come down? Well, because you're going to fall. Your position is more and more precarious. And when you fall, you fall all the way down and you land in your head. Well, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll stay up here. Maybe I'll find some way to stay up here. That's not a good idea, but go ahead. And then you just wait for the inevitable to happen. And everybody goes, I told you so. And America curses them all for conspiring to conspiring to uh, destroy them. See what you did to me. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. <laughs> it's pathological, you know? It's, yeah. it's straight out of a textbook, a psychology textbook. I mean... Uh, <laughs> sure. And the pieces are already in place. I mean, uh, the United States is, is faltering economically and societally, not because of its own uh, mistakes or, or, uh, or ideological leanings, but because of Russia. It's Russia that, that's inserting yeah. all of these ideas into the information sphere. It's Russia that, that right. is uh, trying to instigate uh, a, a collapse via uh, ads on uh, Twitter and, and Facebook. Right. Uh, it's, it's all Russia's fault. So uh, what, what we've just seen uh, in the past few months and in particular in the past week, I mean, it's this incredible Russia. ramping up of, of blame Russia uh, that, uh, well, it's, it's, it's precedented certainly, but we've never seen it uh, reach these levels, I don't think, uh, levels of, of absurdity that people are beginning to accept uh, and automatically affirm um, 
in their assessment of, of what's going on in the U.S. Uh, so the, 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 big, the big Russia, uh, evil Russia collusion narrative is, is taking hold. And um, what it does is it, it feeds into this tendency among, uh, among many in the U.S. and in the West of not taking any responsibility for anything, of mm-hmm. yet again pointing the finger uh, to the scapegoat, to the, mm-hmm. uh, to the outside, uh, the spoiler. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, is, that, is that not very interesting how uh, you see that dynamic happening uh, among, the polit- among the political class and you also see it happening among a, 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 a significant section of the, of the people, you know? Yeah. You're obviously talking about the social justice warriors. They're basically not taking responsibility for their own situations and blaming everybody else. And trying exactly. to force other people to come down to their level, whereas you know, uh, or blaming everybody, let's say, just for 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 their own life situation. And that's precisely what the American political class political class are doing, uh, using Russia. It, it's an across-the-board phenomena, and um, I, you know, how do you explain it? it? It's it's like a it's like a virus of uh, right. it's, it's exactly what Jordan Peterson is warning against on a on a more kind of um, you know individual but also a societal level uh and but it, it's you know just like uh just like stanton same now says in in uh inside the criminal mind um it is a uh it, it is a culture of entitlement of uh of of lack of responsibility of blaming everyone and everything uh except yourself uh for your problems mm-hmm. um and and who would imagine we we would be seeing it at, at such a level uh, as it exists today, um, yeah. and it's 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 catching on. It, it doesn't seem to show any signs of of letting up, except among those who who are paying attention, who who are trying to think through what it is they're seeing outside of the mainstream media narrative, uh, who are paying attention to people like um, like Peterson and Hate and others and. Uh, you know, it, but it, but it's an uphill battle. How, how do you, uh, how do you get people to be motivated enough to want to see these things for themselves and apply it to themselves on an individual level? You can't. Um, mm-hmm. You can't. Reality has to teach them. But mm-hmm. there some people just will never get it. They're of a certain nature, where they will, where they, their children, you know, and they, they just won't, won't grow up, you know, kind of. Uh, Psychologically or emotionally, they're they're children, and they're not going to grow up any time this lifetime, let's say. Um, so there's no talking to them, and it's and that's why I say you can't you can't. I, I mean, I've had enough experience with them where it's obvious that you cannot talk to them. They're possessed of an idea that resonates with their own nature, with their own being, and there's no way you can, you know, show them the error of their ways because it's not an error for them. That's yeah. the whole point. It's not an error. I mean, people, people really have to get this through their heads. But you're talking about two different types, at least two different types of human beings, fundamentally different types of human beings. You know, in, in a book, a good book, if anybody, nobody ever read it, uh, Darkness Over Tibet by a guy called, um, I can't remember his first name, Ilium. Um, he, he makes reference to uh, people on an ascending path and people on a descending path. As a general idea, you know, but one is more contractile, it's focused on yourself, it's avoiding taking responsibility, it's blaming everybody else and someone else, and another type who's on the ascending path, let's say, which is just, not, you know, they sound pejor- it sounds like a pejorative term, the descending path versus the 
the, the ascending path, but it's basically just two different types of nature. One, and it's typified by that idea of not wanting to take responsibility and blame everybody else like a child and you know, reeling against reality and life. And another one where it's you're able to shoulder the responsibilities of life and, and accept it for what it is and use it to try and learn and grow. And uh, and those are those are two different two different types of people. And it's very clear that that's part of their nature. So when you talk to them, you can't say, hey, look, you see how you're, you know, it's it's kind of like talking to a child and saying, you know, you know, can you stop just like lying there, like a, like a, a one year old or a six month old, like talking to a six month month year old and, say, and trying to ra- uh, reason with it and say, can you not just lie there and expect food all the time? Maybe you could go out and like do the shopping or get the vacuum cleaner and do a bit of vacuuming, and or maybe you know do do a, do a day's work, you know. And the child will say, the child won't say anything. Obviously, they just look blankly at you and go, "What the hell are you talking about?" Well, more than that, they they have the inverse argument. Anything you use against them, they'll throw right back at you. If you if you take that child analogy, they'll say the same thing. If you, if you say, "I feel like I've woken up in bizarre world. People are believing in X." They have the same thing. They make Facebook posts and they go, I, I feel like I live, live in a bizarre world. People actually support Trump and think Putin's a good guy. Mm-hmm. They, they have the exact, and they'd also use the child analogy too. It's like talking to 10 year olds, talking mm-hmm. to conservatives or anyone who's mildly supportive of, you know. Um, yeah, but, so it, but it's, it, that's, it's, it's a solid wall. I mean, you, you said it's, it's like two different people. Well, what are we talking about then? Two different human natures, mm-hmm. plural. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the big secret. You can never. You can never reveal that secret. Maybe that's the secret <clears throat> of purported kind of esoteric or mystical or hidden groups who are keeping a secret or whatever for throughout time and would, you know, you never get told it or whatever unless, you know, you're a part of this inner group or whatever. And that's more or less it. Like, uh, and it's obvious why you can't uh, tell that. It's not because it's like this is a super secret and we get to feel important because we have it and other people don't. It's it's more that those people, people who realize that, realize you can't tell anybody, but you can't talk about this publicly because it's automatically pejorative. You know, it's it's like it's it's racism, it's discrimination, it's oppression. It's like you're better than me. It's like and it's like well maybe you know and this gets to the heart of the whole equality thing. Like we we're talking about in the Olympics, you know, you're gonna have someone carry weights because they're better running than you. Well, that that's that's a good another good analogy for it, you know that that's what those people actually want, you know, they 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 hate the fact that there are other people who are better than them who who can understand life and shoulder the burden of life when they don't want to, you know, they're like they're like children, you know, and they may say that people who oppose them are like children as well, but you look at the two arguments and it's clear which one is the adult thinking in the sense of more a more complex under, or an understanding that the situation is more complex and the other one that's that's very black and white oversimplification. Of, of the problem, you know. I've had enough experience of that as well, you know, where it's, uh, uh, I try to discuss things and, and basically what happens is you get shouted down as a racist or some other, or, or some other term. And it's, Godwin's law kicks in. Right. And, and you just get, uh, you know, you get shouted down and there's no talking to them, literally no talking to them. And mm-hmm. anybody who thinks that, you know, you can, you can reason with them, it's just, it's just nonsense. That's not to say there's anything wrong with those people, but once they, get together in a group and stuff and try and attain power. And it's not to say that they can't attain power and stuff. It's the problem is is, is their, their ideology. It's like Peterson talks about it, basically the over, oversimplification of a, of a complex problem. It's always going to lead to a bad result. Uh, and not being able to understand human nature, not being able to do the work or not being willing to do the work um, to understand ultimately that life is very complex and we are not the be-all and end-all. We don't really have the ability to sort out the, 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 the real problems in human society. You just kind of do the best you can and there's always going to be problems. 
that's a mature understanding because it's mature in the sense that it, it's a it's a it's a more accurate understanding of life and reality and the forces that are at work and that we're not really in control of ourselves and your your place and, in it and your place in it so uh someone who understands that will be less likely to prescribe solutions for all society right because they go hold on a minute this is pretty complex right and i'm none of us are able to really we don't know an awful lot so let's not rock the boat here we're doing okay but there's always going to be problems just by the fact that we're fallible you know human beings who don't know how things work so let's try and get along as much as we can accepting and accept the fact that it's 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 not going to be perfect and then other people who say no it should be perfect why not how do you make it perfect well first of all you have to equalize everything nobody can be better than anybody else no, no nobody can be better than anybody else nobody can feel lesser than you know there should be no hierarchy at all therefore there's nothing to aspire to everybody's the same nobody does anything mm-hmm. whatever but of course that's nonsense as well those people who have those noble ideas of a utopian society miss the fact that for example psychopaths in positions of power you know people are the predators and amongst human beings you know who will exploit that and you know you'll simply have a fascist utopia you'll have a totalitarian utopia you know and that's an example would be kind of like the the communist idea the, the bolshevik revolution and the, and the idea of communism you know i mean does anybody miss does anybody not notice the totalitarianism in in, in soviet russia you know <laughs> oh god ah but joe the problem was they didn't implement it right right yeah we're gonna do it right this time yeah, it was very well implemented actually mm-hmm. well to, just to um, bring that sports analogy back for a moment you know i'm thinking of um the, the Wayne Gretzky of the U.S. sports world was Michael Jordan for, for a very long time. He's a basketball player. And there's a story about how when he was a, a late teen, he decided one summer that he was just going to work as hard as he possibly could to become the best basketball player he could. So what did he do? He, he put some ankle weights on his legs. And uh, like all summer, he trained using these ankle weights. And uh, he became incredibly leg strong and, and like he... You know, he, he, he stretched and he did all kinds of things that he, that he could do to make himself better. Uh, well, later on, he, you know, quickly became known as, you know, Michael Air Jordan because of the incredible kind of distances he could, he could jump into the air, leap and, and, and swoosh the hoop. Um, but the guy, you know, the lesson there is he worked his ass off uh, to become the athlete that he became. And, um, you know, but of course, most people just just kind of look at the superficial. Oh, he's incredibly talented. And he is. But he worked very, very hard. And so I think there's a whole uh, percentage of people who don't realize how much work is involved in 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 drilling down to what the facts of the matter are, uh, Mm -hmm. drilling down to what is actually occurring, because it's so much easier to just, uh, you know, view things uh, at face value. Um, and, and assume what they're being told to assume. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I guess if that's one point that, that, that we try and drill home here, uh, it's that all of this requires a lot of work, not just understanding, uh, things, you know, in their complexity and detail and nuance, but in, in seeing how we as, you know, people who are reading this information, assimilating it, trying to, uh, make sense of it and and respond accordingly uh, as people of this world, how much work is involved uh, 
on ourselves and, and, and that it is a struggle. It's not, you know, it's not so simple. It, it, you know, we, we've in the past year alone, uh, we've had to wake up a, at least a couple of times to a different reality in a sense and try and make sense of things. Right. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't wake up one day being pro Trump per se, not that we're pro Trump necessarily as it is, but, but no. there has been a lot of work involved in, in, uh, seeing things as they are in all their complexity. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's largely something that, uh, Western society, uh, you know, mainstream media tries to strip away from the minds of people who are, who are, who would like to make better sense of their world. Uh, but they're being fed a diet of, of bullshit wholesale, mm-hmm. uh, that is so much easier to take in. And, you know, this isn't anything we haven't said a, a thousand times before. Uh, but it, it, it just, uh, merits saying one more time, all of this is not easy to do. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's all hard work. It's all continuous. Uh, you know, and anytime you think you've gotten the whole, the whole enchilada, uh, mm-hmm. something's going to happen. You're going to see something or, or realize something that confirms to you. No, right. you don't. <laughs> you have to rethink on that too. And one, uh, of the, one of the hardest things to do is to give up your beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's equivalent to physical pain. You know, the changes that are required for you to change your belief system uh, and take on, take in new information. Um, what happens in, in your brain is, is, is not pain. very, 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 little different to uh to physical pain you know and that's one people uh one thing people are not encouraged to do they're encouraged to hold on to their their beliefs and not allow new information to um to deepen their their understanding mm-hmm. uh and also it's difficult to to get to the point where you accept that you will never know anything uh the, the full truth let's say or anything uh in, in a complete way that you will always have to uh, change your understanding and your belief as it deepens and when it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it's, there's probably no end to it in terms of the complexity of it it's just how far you're able or willing to go but you have to be prepared to 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 do that mm-hmm. so we all kind of you know mature and become adults with a certain set of beliefs you know but then um you know you haven't really done your duty or done your uh, taking responsibility for for being an adult if you haven't challenged your own beliefs and uh, mm-hmm. and, and effectively adopted new ones, not just not adopting the completely the opposite. For example, swinging from one side to the other of, of, of two rigid beliefs, but rather uh, allowing your your understanding to to become more complex. And you have to do that at least once, and then you realize that it's not so it's not so terrible. It doesn't kill you basically, and then that can set you up to to be open. Uh, to have a perspective or an attitude towards life where you're open to new ideas on a continual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, being judicious and thinking about them and increasing your ability to, to think uh, about things and to see nuances. But once you do that, that like I said before, it, you do that sufficiently and you realize that um, that there's no way that you can really come up with some or you can prescribe some solution to the world's ills or even to the ills of your society because you realize how complex it is and really it's not your job to do that. It's no one's job to do that or to make, uh, create a utopia on this planet. Uh, that's not what, that's not the point of life. The point of life is to, is to learn. Uh, and that's pretty much the beginning and the end of it, except you probably never 
stop learning. But the point is to learn and to grow also through adversity. The, the raw material for your learning is, is very often some kind of adversity uh, that challenges you to, to, you know, to challenge yourself and to break out of molds and to challenge your thinking and change your thinking. And without that adversity and that struggle, then what opportunity do you have to learn and grow? And that's what these kind of social justice kind of equality people want, is they want to remove all of the suffering, effectively all of the adversity in life, so that nobody can feel bad anymore. Um, and effectively, so that they can't feel, it's really uh, a narcissistic, selfish motivation, that they can't feel bad, they won't feel bad anymore. But by doing that, they're removing the raw material that actually makes life worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Or is the actual purpose of life, like I said, which is to grow through challenges. So that's why that's why we don't like those that leftist ideology because it's fundamentally anti-human. It's anti-human progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that's why um, just the things that Jordan Peterson says and does are so resonant to people today. Well, to a you know a significant segment of the population, and why it's kind of so important um, because he's kind of like the the Wayne Gretzky of the kind of intellectual world but the practical world as well it's like here's here's a guy that is saying similar things giving these basic principles um but doing it in such a way that um it's accessible and by that i mean the the, the way to make it accessible is that and the way he does it is to basically teach by example and so you you mentioned the joe how important it is and how no one actually will barely people rarely actually practice it is questioning their own beliefs or submitting their beliefs to questioning to, um, with the possibility that they may be exposed as false and that you may have to reappraise um, mm -hmm. you know what your previous beliefs were now that's a that's a really scary thing and it's also a scary thing for people um, like, this is in a similar vein but it's a, it's a different idea it's a, it's a it's difficult for people to to realize that they um, they have a nasty side to them. It's like and you often see this with parents who who don't want to see themselves as bad parents or that they might be <clears throat> mean to their children or do something to screw them up because that would totally shatter the you know the parents self image so but then by rejecting that aspect of themselves and not acknowledging it, they actually do become monsters and so one example that that Peterson gave that I think is an example of this basically modeling modeling certain behaviors that would be beneficial to you but that you're afraid of actually putting into practice it's when he tells um tells parents that that one of his rules from you know 12 rules for life which is um don't do anything or don't let your what was it don't let your kids do anything that makes you dislike them or something like that and the way he explains that yeah. is that um you are a monster and you will be a monster if you don't realize that and, you know, take measures in order to mitigate the effects of your monster coming out in ways that you don't, uh, that you haven't consciously willed, basically. But the first mm -hmm. step in that is to realize that you're a monster and that you can be a horrible person. <laughs> right. And, and, but when he says it, it's just like, he says, he says, yeah, I know I'm, a, uh, I know I'm a horrible person. I know I can do extremely evil things, um, you know, but I don't do them. Just seeing someone, um, like with such exposure saying that saying such a thing it's like oh mm -hmm. wow you know he can do it and he is doing it and and look he's just he's just saying it without any kind of like neurosis mm -hmm. or you know self doubt and self and and fear about it he's just doing it 
And it's like that provides the model then for people who have never even encountered that idea to do it for themselves and to be a little bit of less afraid of it. And he does the mm-hmm. same thing for, for, you know, with, with ideas, you know, the, when he, when he talks about having an argument with his wife, it's like, you have to be willing to, to sit down and consider the fact that you might be wrong. And mm-hmm. he basically describes that's been his entire process of how he, how he learns basically. And that's how anyone learns. And, mm-hmm. and so just like in sports where you have, um, you know, someone who demonstrates, uh, you know, good sportsmanship, like Wayne Gretzky, it's like, we need people in the world and in our lives, ideally someone that you know, personally, that, that can be that model for you to, 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 to someone that has gone through that process and that can communicate and articulate that process to you where you, where you look and you say, Oh wow, that's possible. I didn't even, I didn't even consider that that was possible. I didn't even think about it. Like I didn't even know, you know, that, you know, challenging your beliefs, you know, it wasn't a real possibility for me. I didn't actually know what that meant, but to see it actually in practice and then to have it available as an option that, you know, that's such a good service to provide for people. And, um, so well, unfortunately, yeah. it, it, it's so evident among so many of the social justice warriors that by virtue of the fact that they are arguing, uh, you know, against the patriarchy or against white supremacism or against uh, whatever it is, you know, they, they've the narrative becomes that they've that they are good, that they are good people, mm-hmm. period, by virtue of their of their activism. Uh, so they've already kind of disallowed or blocked off this. Um, this option or possibility, as you described it, Harrison, of, uh, of acknowledging how they might be carriers or vessels or uh, uh, embodiments for uh, evil. bad stuff or, or evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it's not allowed to enter into the equation. So like with that example with Peterson, for instance, uh, there is, and I think this is this may be part of the crux of the matter. There is a level of humility that he embodies uh, mm-hmm. in his in his uh, being open even into the fact or, or the possibility that he might make a mistake and, and wreck everything that he's been trying to do. And he's very open about it. Uh, who, what pundit, what uh, commentator, uh, what politician have you ever seen say or admit to the possibility that they're fallible? Mm-hmm. That they can that they can sabotage their own efforts as, as human beings and their life's work by by making the wrong decision or saying the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing and allowing that to become their uh, you know what they espouse. No one. Um, so he's you know he's shared his own humility with others. He's in, he's encouraging and and trying to nurture uh, that same. Uh, spirit of self-examination um, and and humbleness uh, to others uh, that is unique among people uh, in general. Um, you know, never mind somebody who has such a large audience. Um, and and that kind of flies very much into the face of of a whole body of people in society who think that they can do no wrong. Uh, who've who've never been told in any real sense um, that they are that they are doing wrong, uh, they or at least that you know they've never been able to take that in and improve themselves, uh, not just in the tricks of rhetoric or or in their their strategic approaches, but into their being, into uh, into improving themselves as as people. 
Um, so we're we're looking at uh, we're looking at something on several different levels here, uh, hopefully, and um, and that's how it has to be viewed. It, it can't be narrowed down to any one thing. I don't think. I think you summed it up right there: is that they they feel and they think that they can do no wrong, and that's those are the kind of people that you have to watch out for. They're dangerous. <laughs> yeah, they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe to to bring it back to to our news items, because um, that of course relates. You know, this 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 whole kind of side conversation started off as a as a description of kind of the the mentality of um, the creators of American foreign policy, and we see that exemplified every day on the world stage. You know, thinking they can do no wrong, and therefore. Anything that anyone else does is wrong just by definition because anything we do is right. And if anything goes against what we do, it therefore must be wrong. And in the show description today, one of the other topics that we had listed there was what's going on in <clears throat> in Syria currently. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 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 kind of, it's like Groundhog Day because the exact same, uh, the exact same narrative is playing out now in regards to East Ghouta, which is right next to basically like a Damascus, Damascus suburb, the exact same uh, narrative is playing out there that played out during the liberation of Aleppo. What was it? Uh, um, two years ago? When was Aleppo, Aleppo liberated? A year, a year and a, a half. A year and a bit. Yeah. Um, basically, it's literally they're, they're recycling their headlines. Um, the yep. back when Aleppo was the, the whole Aleppo thing was uh, going on inside Aleppo there was the Aleppo uh, Aleppo what is it news group or something they have some acronym for the basically the the, the rebels kind of like the the media equivalent of the white helmets in Aleppo Aleppo Media Center and uh, they'd basically run the Al Qaeda propaganda from inside Aleppo and all the U.S. Western news outlets would pick it up and they've got the same people that were behind the Aleppo media center are now doing the Guta media center, releasing the exact same news, you know, the same stuff about hospitals and doctors and, you know, the last doctor in, in, in Guta. And it's, it, it does feel like Groundhog Day because not only is the, the Western media coverage of it exactly the same, actually the reality is exactly the same because What's going on in Ghouta is exactly what was going on in Aleppo on both sides, like in truth, in truth and in the media coverage of it. Because what is going on in Ghouta is that the, the area is occupied by some hardcore um, terrorist groups, including Al-Qaeda affiliates, and they are holding the, the civilian population there hostage, um, either not letting aid through or when aid is let through, basically hoarding it for themselves. Um, preventing any civilians from leave, leaving f- through humanitarian corridors, um, bombing the civilian, um, you know, population and infrastructure in the surrounding areas in Damascus, and yet, what what do you see on in Western media? You never see any mention, any acknowledgement of the fact that the the people in like the the people controlling this little region are terrorist groups. You never see <clears throat> any acknowledgement of the civilians that they kill. Um, all you see is the those evil that that those evil Syrian troops are besieging, and the Syrian government and and evil Assad are besieging these poor 
Syrian civilians, for whatever reason, they never actually give a reason because they can't come up with a good one because there isn't one, and that it's horrible and they're killing people and Assad has to stop and it's just a, it's just an yeah. atrocity after atrocity. <clears throat> and when you factor in, when you look at what the, what the U.S. bombing of uh, or U.S. liberation, let's say, of of Mosul uh, and Raqqa mm-hmm. uh, earlier earlier la- uh, last year. Uh, did kill hundreds if not thousands of civilians in those two cities um, and I think in, in Mosul today at least and probably Iraq as well there are bodies still lying in the rubble months like maybe three four months after the fact and at the time not a word was said along these lines of you know poor, poor, poor uh, by the western media not a word was said about the US bombing of these of these two cities to liberate them but when Russia is doing it uh, on the Syrian army doing it in effectively in Damascus and in, in Ghouta, East Ghouta. Uh, the Western media is all over it. Like uh, the, the duplicity and hypocrisy of the, of the Western press is just astounding. Like, I mean, what kind of journalist will actually go along with that? You know, knowing that clear parallel, how they can with, with Mosul, what the U.S. did in Mosul and Raqqa, and then kind of scream bloody murder over Aleppo when they know it's a bunch of uh, you know foreign-backed. But U.S.-backed terrorists holding civilians in Iskuta uh, hostage. That's why uh, any civilian casualties are actually occurring because they're being used as 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 human human shields mm-hmm. by terrorists. But they blame Russia. They demonize Russia. They try to call UN Security Council and you know meeting to kind of uh, to, to to sanction to I'm sanction not, Russia. I'm not sure that they know. Who? Obviously, you know. Some of the key. Well, they're, some, they're sick, man. There's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with them. Um, <clears throat> the, it's, because it's not just that. I mean, if the Guardian wrote something egregiously wrong, and we saw it, and we could point out that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, there will be um, most of the comments underneath will be people going, "Oh, isn't it awful?" Again, they've already had the Aleppo example. It's being replayed. They're still none the wiser. They actually believe that it's an opposition group that has somehow managed to survive a siege surrounded by Syrian state forces and Syrian state supporters, i.e. the normal population, for seven years, right next to Damascus, and they think that they did it all by their awesomeness and their lonesomeness, and it's nothing to do with the fact that Israel, Jordan, Turkey, and the US, the UK, France through them, are funneling drugs, weapons, money, to keep them going. I mean, but I think they will actually believe it. I think in their, because they, of course, the Guardian article calls it the opposition. Right. The opposition. It's Al Qaeda. It's right. like they're terrorists. It's Al Nusra. They're terrorists. And that's all there is to it. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a kindred thing. Maybe they reckon, even though they, are all, they do by now know the counter narrative, i.e., the truth. Um, they block it out because they so, sort of instinctive level recognize their kindred human type. Because of the terrorists, they, they're of their own nature to destroy. Well, they like them. Maybe. They've been possessed by an ideology. They've been propagandized against. They've swallowed the lies of anti-Russia propaganda over the past four or five years. And they're possessed of, a, of an idea. An idea has taken hold of them. And it's a, it's a bullshit idea. Completely false. But that's, they've swallowed it. Hook, line, and sinker. That's the ones that, you know, I, uh, that you would forgive but I don't, I don't i think a lot of them i don't think there's any excuse for it really i mean that's why i call them ultra liberals mm-hmm. um they would pass themselves off as the center and 
our our counter narrative here as the extreme right wing fringe, and then there's probably an extreme left wing, pretty much what we're saying, but with a few other qualifications, and they hold the centre, the rational, the sensible, eminently so. But of course, they're batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. They are supporting Al Qaeda. Yeah, and they don't care. And I, I must, therefore, the only way I can accept that they're going to be centrist, if they want to maintain, hold on to the word liberal, fine, you can have it, then you're ultra liberal. Mm-hmm. Because you're, to suggest that you're nuts, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you have guys like Thomas Friedman writing for the New York Times, wrote a bunch of books, he's got a big audience, he writes the op-ed, something for the op-ed every week or so. And, uh, you know, towing the anti-Russia line, towing the uh, uh, Assad is killing people in Yisguda line. Uh, these people are, you know, like Thomas Friedman, are so invested in their, um, in their paycheck, in their, uh, in their grandiosity as, as opinion leaders. Mm. Um, and, of course, they're, they're, they're surrounded by the same groupthink. Uh, especially in places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other publications. So they have this kind of positive reinforcement for lying, uh, or at least not acknowledging things as, as they um, that would add some really complexity are. to the situation. And, uh, and so I think there's a whole kind of uh, – the majority of, of journalists, of pundits in the U.S. fall into this category. Of mm-hmm. uh, of being totally invested financially, and you know, body, mind, and soul into the prevailing uh, political, social groupthink uh, mm. that they can't even they can't even see as political and social groupthink, or as no, motivated because, by the paycheck. Yeah, what's motivated by the paycheck, and also, but I think a good way of looking at it is that that there are ideas. There's this idea that or prevailing wisdom. I suppose, is that people have ideas. <clears throat> That's not really true. There are ideas out there floating around, and they're kind of alive, you know, and they have people. People don't have ideas. Ideas have people, and they take control of their brains as if they're actually sentient things, and they move people in a certain direction in over a period of time, and uh, they're possessed. These people are possessed. Get the, get the priest in. They need to be, they need to be exercised. Mm. Maybe they're controlled by some kind of overmind. All, all they know is Delenda Carthago, Syria must be destroyed. But they don't understand why. But like you said, there's free-floating ideas and concocted data that's presented to them to form a rational narrative out of it. Mm-hmm. But all the, it's driven by some kind of message and message received that Syria must be destroyed. They don't understand why, but it yes. must be. <clears throat> exactly. You know, there was someone out of the Obama administration who... Uh, who, or who was in that kind of circle, who said that it was just accepted as a given uh, that that Syria had to be destroyed and Assad um, taken out, and he said it was never questioned. There were no reasons given for it. It was mm. just that's how it is. And um, and uh, you know, to the credit of this of this person who said it, I forget what his name is or her name is. Uh, they did question it. You know, wh- why? Why is? Mm. Why does it have to be? What? You know, what's the rationale for such a uh, horrifically drastic foreign policy? Um, you know, you have to. Any rational think, mind would want to question or know the answers for 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 such a thing. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people, there are people who have some ideas, I think, possibly. But yeah, that's a good good way of describing it as well. Like another analogy would be, uh, you know, if you have a, a bunch of hungry people, you know, really hungry, starving, and they have, you know, knives or weapons, and they see a cow in the field, uh, they probably won't have to sit down and discuss where they're going to go and kill the cow and eat it, right? Mm. And nobody will, none of them will say, well, why should we do this again? You know, so that hunger is is understood amongst them, and they don't need to explain it to each other. They're all on the same page. Well, yeah, there's some uh, there's some food over there. You know, they all understand intuitively, and we're going to go and get it and eat it. We're not going to discuss it. We'll just waste time because we're hungry. So, uh, yeah, they're driven by this. That's you know that's maybe how psycho psychopaths kind of operate at their kind of unconscious instinctive drives, you know, mm. and there is no higher brain function in, the sense, in that sense of, uh, of of reasoning or thinking or rationalizing out, except in the sense of towards the single goal of getting the food that they want. Um, but, uh, yeah, did we, we talked about, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Manafort, or not the yeah, Manafort, but the, the, what do you call it, Mueller indictment, that kind of thing. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Strikes me. The only thing I'd say about that is, strikes me that this was always about Russia, um, right from the get-go. Although they did want to try and, you know, get Trump. But the interesting thing is that this whole RussiaGate scandal and the dodgy Russian dossier by your steel, you know, James Bond, steel guy, British, MI6 guy, who produced the dodgy dossier for the Clinton campaign. That was all produced. It was more or less together, like last. Uh, well, April 2016. So almost two years ago, like six months before the election. And they didn't reveal it uh, in any you know, full way, even only very there was a few intimations of it just before the actual election. But they had it more or less together well before the election, but they didn't reveal it. As in, here's evidence of Trump's collusion to try and stop, you know, as a slam dunk. Trump's going to lose. They didn't actually reveal it, even though they could have. So it suggests to me that since it was it was Russia, obviously it was based on on evil Russia, but it was, and it was obviously attached to Trump. But they didn't use it maybe probably because they thought they realized, as it obviously is, a load of hogwash, and maybe they didn't release it for that reason. But then they did release it, and it wasn't. I don't think it was by accident, but they did allow it to come out uh, after he was elected. So, but now what you see is that it's basically gone nowhere because there's nothing to it. And what Mueller has ended up doing is indicting 13, you know, as we say, 13, uh, basically peop- 13 people, uh, Russians, working for a, a Russian internet marketing company um, that was simply designed to uh, promote ads on Facebook and social media to try and get people to follow them, and then they'd be able to pitch uh, actual product to them. So it was absolutely un- non-political whatsoever. At any point in time, those marketing companies will... Uh, promote ads, promote, say things on Facebook, say things on Twitter, promote pictures, whatever, or, or memes on Twitter that are, are trending at the time in order to get attention to their accounts. And then once they get enough people, then they uh, launch a, hey, you want to buy this plastic crap from China or something? And and, and or, or for the companies that they're marketing for, or, you know, so they have a deal. So it's purely commercial. And that's, really, that's who Mueller has indicted as evidence of, of of these people trying to subvert our election. That's basically what it is. That's how that's how how much of a nothing burger this is. There is less than nothing 
in it. It's not a, even that it's insignificant evidence of Russia trying to hack our election. It's actually anti-evidence in a certain sense where yeah. what they're doing has nothing whatsoever yeah. to do with hacking any elections, no interest whatsoever in in, in the outcome of the, the US election on the part of, of Russia or anybody in Russia. They're just sitting there and the Russians are on, even Putin's on record and said that, listen, we didn't know. We were willing to accept whoever it was because you know what? We have lived with Russia. We have lived with the US for quite a long time now. We know how they operate. We know. Nothing Putin changes. Putin himself time. knows that there's no difference, that there's people behind the president, even more or less say there's people behind the president who, who call the shots. So why would we care who gets to be president? Because, I mean, everybody, everybody with any, any sense knows that the president doesn't, isn't the commander-in-chief, doesn't dictate all the policies. So Clinton, Trump, you know, Bernie Sanders, whoever, you know, Barney the Purple Dinosaur as president, we don't care who's president of America. We can just wait and see what happens, but we know what we're dealing with people behind the scenes, the quote-unquote deep state. And that's, that's, that's the truth of the matter. So, of course, there's no evidence for Russian hacking uh, America's election or collusion or whatever like that yeah. because they have no interest in doing it. But what you see now is that this was always about Russia, but the same propaganda uh, offensive has been going on for a long time. This dossier and stuff was primarily focused on demonizing Russia. Yeah. Uh, and they were happy to use Trump as the kind of a fall guy for that as a president because they didn't really like him. Let's say they didn't, weren't that happy with him. But the primary target was to show what they've tried to show, which is that Russia has basically launched an attack on America and American democracy, American elections. That's equivalent, according to what he called him, Schiff, or was it Schiff? Uh, uh, equivalent to Pearl Harbor. Yeah. It's, it's basically equivalent to Russia declaring war on America, even though there's no evidence for it whatsoever. So they wanted to fabricate something that they could use to say Russia has Russia is attacking us, and therefore the whole world has to hate Russia, and we have to clamp down on Russia. That's the whole point of this uh, Russian dossier, Trump, blah, blah, blah. And you see now that what he's actually done, he's doing with, he's following through with it, because to, to now drop the whole Mueller investigation and say, oh, yeah, well, apparently there's nothing to it, or here's our crappy evidence, and that's it. So he goes forward with the Manafort uh, prosecution, you know, and his, his buddy Gates. Uh, but what they were doing, what they're being indicted for, what they're being prosecuted for, it's not over yet, obviously, they'll have to go to court, but is for lobbying on behalf of Ukrainian uh, Prime Minister time in 2013 or so, and before it, uh, Yanukovych, who was a pro-Russian uh, pro uh, president in, in Ukraine, but not in any no, strong way. Much, and no. what they were actually doing for him was trying to get European politicians to take an interest, take a take a more friendly approach, and take an interest in Ukraine to increase trade deals and all that kind of stuff. And they were Manafort was employing, effectively giving money to uh, um, European politicians to come and lobby American politicians to get on the same boat, uh, get on board with the idea of bringing Ukraine closer to Europe. And that's exactly what the America staged a coup in 2014 in Ukraine to, 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 to achieve. Mm -hmm. But Manafort is now being indicted and prosecuted potentially for doing that back in 2008, 2009, up to 2013. And this Mueller's doing this simply to show that there's some, there's some meat to his investigation. But what it also does in terms of what it really does is the effect would be to prevent anybody, in theory as a precedent, to send a message that if you, uh, in any way, any lobbyists, any politicians in Europe or in the US, who in any way touch anything 
that the Russian government approves with. If you take money for lobbying for anything that could be positive for Russia, you might be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. So there's another way to basically try and cut Russia out of the normal policies and normal governmental, intergovernmental policies of allowing uh, gov um, representatives of, of other governments or, or lobbyists for other governments coming to your country, which every country does, and say, hey, here's some, here's an idea. Could you talk to American politicians or Russian politicians or French politicians on, on behalf of my client to further this vested interest? Which is normal, happens all the time, right? But it's not going to be allowed or it's not going to happen in theory for Russia anymore. So it's another example of cutting Russia out of the game, effectively, cutting it off from the quote-unquote international community, isolating it in every possible way. You know, sports, normal lobbying, you know, culture, uh, you know, energy, business, everything. Yes. Yeah. Cut them off on every possible People sitting down, like, <clears throat> coming up with every possible way they can hit Russia. And this, that's all that seems, that's the, the only result, it seems at this point, the only result of the Mueller investigation, apart from the demonization of Russia that has gone on as a result of it, and the negative, the drop in, in apparently people's popular understanding of Russia, the, 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 the negative perspective that has been inculcated in people as a result of all this nonsense about Russia, uh, that's going to be the kind of end result of this whole Russia hacking our election slash Trump collusion dossier will be that the Mueller investigation will have set a precedent of don't ever talk to any Russians in Washington or any of their <clears throat> anybody lobbying on behalf of Russia, don't talk to them ever again. And, and if that's the end result, I suggest that that was the, a, the, the aim in the first place. Isn't there a wider, deeper message as well, maybe just a byproduct of that? Any dissent on any issue before we even bring Russia in, can be, oh, there's Russian bots again. Yeah. Russian trolls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, can go. Control of public anything. discourse, yeah. Absolutely. <coughs> control um, of social media. Because, I mean, that, that was the, that was the, the in a way, they, they, they dissimulated because they didn't say we've got 13 people and these are the ones who hacked our elections. They said, I think they explicitly said in the indictment, we don't have evidence that these people did so. But what they were doing was they were sowing discord and creating political division in the United States. Mm. So they were retrospectively putting all the, the fissures that were opening up naturally, creating an agent of chaos of the chaos that we've seen mm -hmm. and saying they're doing it to us. Mm -hmm. And going forwards, it's programming, it's priming yes. people, if you like, maybe that's a better term, to recognize dissent as well unpatriotic or Russia's fault. Mm -hmm. And it's it's mushrooming. I mean the, the phenomenon started before Mueller's investigation and certainly before this indictment. Mm. Um the New York Times did this big expose of this internet research agency in St. Petersburg twenty fifteen I think. Was it twenty five? I have to look up when that was. Well, originally there was done a, big by a Russian Gazeta, I think the Russian Gazeta uh, newspaper originally did a report on them, and I think in two thousand fifteen that was maybe taken up by Western okay. Press. There was a big splash in the New York Times, the Kremlin Lie Factory. I think the title of it was. Yes. And I remember, like that—that that was it. That was all she wrote. People then, as liberal types or whatever, were, were then using it left, right, and center. Suddenly, that became their answer to every argument you could try to have with anyone online. 
oh, you're just a Kremlin Putin bot. So it, it entered the popular lexicon before officialdom said stamp of approval. It was already free-floating or something. Um, it's amazing. That's just amazing to me. That it's like people, yeah. people sought out some explanation for why things are as they are. I think, I mean, go back to the shooting down in November 17 and you had newspapers across the, across the, across the West saying Putin killed my baby. Mm. You know, Putin did this. Putin got his, his book missile launcher out and shot down that plane and then laughed at it about it, you know. Um, and that was the way it was presented in the press, you know. So that was this massive demonization. In 2014, they had already presented, were, were able to present Putin as this monster who would shoot down a plane full of people. And, and they just flew with it. It was no problem, you know. And, um, they, they, sorry, they ran with it, not flew with it. Um, but yeah. Well, so was it, I mean, I mean, the demonization was 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 going on before then, and and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the online. I mean, when you anybody online, any of us, for example, reacted against that ridiculous hysterical demonization of, of Russia blaming Putin for all this, you know, everything, like in the same way they blame, you know. Gaddafi killing his own people, Assad killing his own people, Saddam killing his own people, that kind of thing. Putin killing other people. Um, when you call that out online, you got this response that you're talking about, which is, oh, you're just Russian, Russian bot, or whatever. I reckon a lot of that was was the equivalent, the actual uh, like MI5, MI6, CIA, FBI, whatever, Western intelligence agencies, and they're uh, the section within those intelligence agencies that are dedicated to what do they call it, creating uh, dynamic narratives or yeah. uh, o- online. They have you know, Dis- rooms, disrupt, rooms. deceive, distract, and some other D. That's their motto, which that was, the Snowden files. Right, quote. MI6, yeah. yeah. The, the way Brit, the Brits, the, you know, mainly the Brits and the, and the Americans have vast teams of people who are dedicated to spending all their time online uh, on social media, creating these kind of responses to people calling out media, Western media bullshit by saying, Russian bot, Russian bot, you're a Russian bot. Oh, look at all the Russian bots yeah. that are on here. Russian bots on here. They're not just Russian bots. So look at all the, uh, the Putin apologists or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was them, given the context of what we're talking about and the climate that all this is happening in. And obviously, they're massive push to demonize Russia. It wouldn't be surprising that, that they, they've been... That, well, what else are those people going to do? In the context of the, of the main... Goal of West, the Western governments and Western media and Western intelligences is to demonize Russia. What are they going to do with their army of online, which they have? I mean, it's, it's common knowledge that these intelligences have armies of online commenters with fake accounts. What are they going to do in that context, in that climate? A lot of they're going to be uh, spreading online uh, anti Russian sentiment. Mm-hmm. Globally, there's an election coming up in Italy. Yeah. Uh, could be a big upset there. There's another populist right leader, Salvini. He's part of Berlusconi's centre-right, in quotes, coalition. Um, the same thing's going on there. There's people like uh, trying to explain or account for his, his relative online popularity, this Salvini guy, compared to the other candidates. Oh, well, the Kremlin may be you know, up, up to no good here. And the State Department announced this week is sending out a special team to monitor, in quotes, the Italian elections, probably to interfere with it, uh, try and do something fishy. Because after all, as um, James Woolsey, former CIA director, said on Fox News just last week in 1946, 
7 and 8, they directly interfered in Italy's elections, um, of course, to make sure that Moscow didn't win. But, mm-hmm. yeah, flash forward half a century, and, okay. Of course, Woolsey also, in that now infamous interview, said that, uh, yeah, he laughed when he was asked that. Well, we don't still do that, do we? Give <laughs> a non-answer, but... Um, another election coming up is the Russian election. Now the question is, are Russian bots going to be interfering at that one? In in the, in the Russian election? Yeah, Russian bots. Like if Putin wins, will that be because Russian bots sway the Russian population? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of the Russian people are actually robots. <laughs> there is no Russian people. Just as I said. It's like as John McCain said, Russia is a big gas station with no culture. It's just a gas station, and it's populated, a big gas station populated by a bunch of robots. If you ever go there, don't go there. Don't go to Russia. But if you ever go there, you'll find out for yourself if that's what's going on. You know, if you just, you know, knock on a Russian, you won't hear the normal, you'll hear a strange sound. It's kind of like hollow sound, you know, like a hollow metal sound, you know. Spanky sound, oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone owns a bot. Uh, yeah. But apparently they said that the uh, Russian or American observers will not be invited to, you know, election observers will not be invited to the uh, Russian elections. Oh, well, right there, they're like hiding something, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's already been rigged for Putin. Yeah. Don't, well, I just say, well, why, why are you not inviting us? Well, because we don't trust you. But we're happy to have, you know, French, Italian, British, whoever. I have the rest of the world, just not you. Oh, yeah, really? Well, Putin killed my baby. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Why we just end up talking about crazy stuff on, on the show every week, no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a reflection of what's out there, crazy stuff. Yeah, it is, isn't it's it? It's non-stop. It's mostly Wall-to-wall news these days, it's just crazy stuff. When are we going to be able to, like, talk about, the only thing we have to talk about is, like, a cat got stuck up a tree, you know? Well, there are a lot of cats in the world. But they get up to crazy stuff too. They do? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> well, we. Yeah. yeah. After, after all that craziness, I think we covered everything we wanted to, wanted to cover. So let's end it there. Okay. All right. So thanks everyone for joining us for another edition of. Whoops. Where's our second? of Behind the Headlines and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye everyone. See you next week. Yeah. Bye everyone.